Life. Welcome to the Life After Now podcast. I'm your host, Liz Balsoni. I'm a communication studies major at St. Catherine University in St. Paul, Minnesota. This podcast is a place for young people like you to gather information about education and think about what it means for your life after now. You'll be able to connect with inspirational guests who have firsthand experience and expertise surrounding education in Minnesota. Today, I'll be talking with Nemo Omar. She is the co-founder of Minneapolis' Awood Center, an East African economic and political empowerment nonprofit. She is also a fellow Katie and a student leader on my campus. So Nemo, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Liz. Would you take a moment to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Yeah, um, so my name is Nemo Omar. I am currently a student at St. Catherine University. I'm also a labor organizer. I've been doing organizing in the community since I was 19. And that organizing has led me to co-found a nonprofit organization called the Awood Center. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, I, we've got a lot to talk about today, but I do have a fun icebreaker before we get into that. So I want to know if you have any words of advice or affirmation to your high school self, what would you say? That's a good question. I think one word of wisdom I would say is patience. I think when a lot of young folks are in high school and in early on in college, we're all trying to figure out you know, what we're going to do next in, the, in, in this world. And now that I'm in my early 20s, I look back and I always, like, I tell, my, I tell myself, like, things are going to get better. And you don't have to have everything figured out. And I think with time and patience and also hard work, that things can, you know, can come to fruition. And so, yeah, I think it would definitely be be patient. And also, you don't have to figure everything out. Yeah, great advice. You say you identify as a non-traditional post-secondary student because you took some time off in between school and going back to school. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and why you decided to put school on pause and, you know, what made you come to that decision and were you glad you made it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I I think identity is important to me. And so like to kind of, you know, give the listeners uh, a better picture. I'm, you know, a first-generation Black Muslim woman born from immigrant parents. And I think a lot of immigrant students and um, adults would definitely resonate with this, but, like, a lot of our parents would want us to, you know, become doctors, lawyers, or go into professions that are, you know, mainly, like, in the STEM field. And um, so after high school, I wanted to become a nurse. So I decided to major in health science and... As I was taking the courses, I kind of hit a wall and was like, you know, I love serving people and I love, you know, giving back, but there's something missing. And so during that time, I kind of, you know, stepped back a little bit and got involved on campus. But I had to really um, figure out, you know, do I want to do this because my parents want me to become a nurse and go to PA school in the future? Or is there something out there for me? Um, and so I decided to take a couple of years off to figure out, you know, what is, I didn't want to like go to school and pay and take all the classes and, you know, spend a lot of my resources and money and time 
and then eventually not like what I was doing. And so mm-hmm. I stepped back. I st- like, you know, kind of took some time off and got into the real world to figure out what, is, what does Nima want to do? And I had to like kind of ask myself in the person, but um, yeah. <laughs> and I think it was the best decision I've made. Yeah, so I, I'm glad that that is the like the the place you landed at. Initially, did your family or your educators support that decision to take some time off? So yeah, so um, my parents were not happy, um, mm-hmm. to say the least. They were my, especially my mother. Um, she was really concerned, mainly because she was like, you know, what's going on? Is there something going on at school that you need to tell me? And you know, parents, you know, they they want to help, right? So she sat me down one day and asked me, hey, what do you want to do? And I said, hey, I, I don't know. I love nursing. I want to make you guys happy, but I just don't think this is something I want to do. And she's like, okay, what about dentistry? What about, you know, um, becoming a lawyer, going to law school? And she listed all these things for me. And I was kind of sitting there like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do that. And so my mom, um, initially in the first couple semesters that I took off, she was like, really nervous and um, eventually when she saw me getting involved in the community and doing a lot of great things she's like okay well she's figuring it out so let me just kind of step back a little bit and she kind of gave me that space I know for a lot of folks that's not the reality but I knew even though it was hard there were times where there were clashes in the family go back to school like you know this is can just make get get the paper and then figure out what you want to do but I knew I didn't want to use my time and the money that was being spent on campus to kind of just get something that I was not going to use in the real world. So eventually she ended up becoming much more supportive. Yeah. So, you know, I wonder if you could explain how you think institutions or universities can better support students like yourself who may have taken some time off or who also don't identify as traditional students. What is your response? So I remember when I was in high school, I applied for Upper Bound and Upper Bound is a federally funded program and it really helped me in my endeavors when applying to college. They helped me apply for FAFSA, um, kind of pick a career and stuff. So I think having programs um, accessible to students, especially first generation, you know, people of color and students um, that would not get the help at home, you know, having High school, like having these programs are, I think, really, really crucial um, to taking that first step to go to college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your experience on campus in leadership roles and what it taught you about yourself. So when I went off to college, I was very curious. And like I said, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I got involved on campus. I got involved with multiple clubs. Um, and the first club that I got involved with was, was called Lakers. And there are a lot of other students of color in the club. And really what the mission of the club was to kind of empower students. I believe it stands for leadership and knowledge empowers real students. And so it was mainly leadership based. And so I got involved and was connected to other students and from different clubs. And after that, I decided to um, attend Student Senate meetings. And so I was really curious to see like, how does this school operate? Mainly because in our club, you know, that's where the funding comes from. And so as I attended multiple meetings, I got involved from there and decided to go to a nonprofit called MSCSA, uh, Minnesota State College Student Association. I think they changed their name now to Minnesota LEAD. 
And I got involved in, you know, a year after decided to run for um, student senate president. And the reason being is because I saw a lot of the students were not being supported, especially a lot of the students of color. And it was initially hard when I first ran because I was running against a lot of older white males and a lot of them were actually also non-traditional students as well. And so it was incredibly hard. And I remember during the time when I was um, running, I had, you know, an opponent and who openly used the N-word um, in front of me and really didn't bat an eye, didn't really care. Um, and so eventually I did win majority of the votes and I became president and he was he was actually my secretary um, during the time I served. And during that time, um, during the time I served as a president, I really got to see how leadership um, plays out in a way that I think a lot of leader, leaders don't see. I knew that there was a lot of other Black Muslim students. And years on, when I left from the position, I, I was told a lot of the younger Muslim women decided to run for you know student government and decided to change some of the policies on campus because they were not happy with it. And so uh, um, initially when I was getting into it, I didn't really think much about it. But I think being involved all in all, I think going back to the question, being involved on campus is incredibly important because I got to see and witness a lot of um, important things that you otherwise wouldn't see if you're just going in and out of you know the university. Mm-hmm. It's really cool that you got the experience to, I guess, see like a little bit of behind the scenes and you know, understand some of the framework of the place that is supposed to be educating you, right? And so it's important that you're a part of that process or that you would want to be involved and change some of that. So it's awesome. So now that we know a little bit about your experience as a leader on your campus, it eventually led you to some even greater leadership. And we want to talk about your labor organizing, especially, you know, against Amazon and which made national headlines, right? So why did you get involved in that cause and what did you learn? Yeah, so I got involved in labor organizing around 2015 um, when Jamar Clark was shot in North Minneapolis. I was attending a momentum training for leaders across the country, but also a lot of folks um, in Minnesota and I was invited by student leaders. And so during that weekend, I remember walking in on the last day and when I walked into the room, I saw a lot of folks just bawling and really upset. And one of my close friends, I remember Puma, I walked up to her and she was crying. I was like, is everything okay? Did something happen? Did I miss something? And I know I walked in a couple of minutes late that morning. And I was told a mile away from where we were training, a young black man was shot on the back of his head. And so folks in the room didn't know what to do. And we were just in shock. And so we took that day, um, we took a pause. We didn't finish the training. And... Um, everyone just kind of went into organizing mode. We kind of figure out, okay, what do we need to do for the community and for the families? Because there was just so much happening, so much chaos and so much hurt. And so everyone, I remember someone just grabbed a big um, poster and everyone just started like writing and brainstorming on what we needed to do. And some of the witnesses were actually brought into the space to figure out what the family needed at, at the time. And I remember someone saying no cop zone we need to make sure that there's no like there's no cops within the neighborhood where Jamar was shot and so we all went down to the fourth precinct where he was closely shot and folks just made a huge circle around the precinct in the neighborhood and blocked that area eventually what 
what the families was at, were asking were, you know, the cameras to be released and the demands on who killed, you know, Jamar. And there were just so many unanswered questions. And so I remember um, that night folks decided to, including myself, to um, sit in the fourth precinct right in, in front of the like, little lobby area. And, um, and that eventually turned into an 18-day occupation in North Minneapolis. And so not to go too much into all the details, it's, it's you know, I think that moment really was a transformative, like transformative for me because I really got to see what police brutality looked like. Um, I was also assaulted in that in that space by officers. Um, it was really disheartening, right? And, and in that moment, I remember it was one of the most, you know, hardest times in my life because, you know, after that, my mental health just really plummeted and, and because I was seeing a different world that folks oftentimes see police brutality on TVs and we read it in books and we see it from our favorite authors and favorite you know, icons, and but witnessing it is, is a different um, type of trauma. And so after um, my involvement in um, BLM Minneapolis, I was a core member for a couple of years and was heavily involved in um, attending conventions across the country to make and meeting families and met, you know, Tamira Rice's mother and so many other families that were affected in state killings. And so that eventually led me into, um, I remember a friend of mine called me up one day and said, hey, we need some help at the airport. Some workers are organizing themselves and we need someone who is badass and can translate Somali. And so I was like, okay, well... I can do that. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so, so yeah. Um, yeah. And then after I got involved the month after the, after a five year campaign, the workers um, won a contract, a first, um, their first contract. And so I kind of fell in love with um, labor after that. I was like really curious to know more. Then that eventually led me to um, co-founding the nonprofit, the Wood Center in 2017. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those stories. And it's really inspirational to a lot of students listening, like me, given uh, the space we are in now, where there is such a need for strong-willed and powerful young activists. I want to go back a little bit to your college experience, and then I want to hear some words of advice for our student listeners. But first, what other groups or what other ways were you involved on campus and how important was that involvement, you know, especially after a four-year leave? How did that connect you with your community and your education? So some other um, organizations that, are, that I was involved, I think I briefly mentioned MSCSA, which stands for Minnesota State College Student Association. I think they changed their name after I've left um, to Minnesota LEAD. And so as part of the Menskew system, a lot of the schools, student governments and student senates were um, under that nonprofit to advocate for higher education. And so when I was serving as a student president, I would attend, you know, their yearly and monthly meetings. And I also took on a role as a platform representative in was overseeing four colleges in the metro area and looking over policies um, of higher education and how we can better higher education in Minnesota. And so that initiative really led me to kind of fall in love with policy and the reason why I'm currently majoring in public policy. 
I saw how policy can affect our lives and in not having the right folks and the right intentions and policies can really affect people of color and, and students across the state. And so being involved with um, MSCSA and also just being involved in student government, and I think to any student out there who is currently in school or in high school, um, getting involved can really open your eyes to so many things and can really um, help you figure out, okay, this is not something that I really want. And, you know, you also meet students from all across of life and all, you know, students from different majors and stuff. And so I think that's one of the beauties of being a student leader on campus. So yeah, I think that was uh, one of the most important pivotal moments in being a student leader. And so you're wrapping up your college years and we're Congratulations. You're graduating so soon. That's exciting. But you as a student have gone through, like us, you know, a challenging year. Just, I mean, just to name a few, there's been immense racial injustice. There's been political unrest, you know, a pandemic, distance learning. And if you have any reflections on how you have or how you are working to overcome those challenges, could you share with our listeners? Yeah, um, this is a really tough question because I, know. Yeah. <laughs> I still don't have it figured out um mm-hmm. just being around folks who um lift up your spirits mm-hmm. and being around people my friends call it squad like finding your squad and finding loved ones who can really help you through these hard moments when George Floyd was uh killed and murdered a lot of folks were in quarantine a lot of us were in a shutdown and yeah. folks were isolated and we were kind of deep in our thoughts Mm -hmm. and I remember thinking goodness gracious like when I remember when Jamar was shot and it was in other space like I remember just being around so many people and I cannot believe that I'm sitting here alone going through this and looking Mm -hmm. at my phone and watching this on like it was really difficult Mm -hmm. and so one of the things I would definitely advise is finding your squad finding people that will support you uplift your spirits and also finding things that help you and ground you um, in ways so that you don't get to that dark place. That's great. And after working through those challenges and healing, we want to make change, right? So you were able to be involved with organizing um, for social justice, for labor rights, and, and that's really inspirational. I guess I want to ask, there are so many causes, for example, like protecting natural lands at um, the golf course by my house. That's one of them. Or (laughs) people who are defending line three Mm, or people mm -hmm. who are at Gerard and way uptown protesting Mm. for Winston Smith or, you know, there's, there are so many causes it can be overwhelming. And it's kind of unfortunate that we have so much to be angry about. Right. But I, I want to know if you have words of advice to people who, are looking to make change and who are looking to get their boots on the ground like you have? Mm. Yeah, this is also um, a question that can be answered in so many ways. But I think the first thing that comes to mind is going back to your inner self and figuring out um, what matters to you, right? And as an organizer, one of the things we ask people that we're organizing is what is your self-interest, right? Um, In any campaign that you're working on, um, you always ask the base or the people that you're organizing, what is your self-interest in this? And everyone has one. And also, narrative is so important. And the reason why I say this is because when we are fighting for something or fighting for anything, any type of social justice, there needs to be a narrative and there needs to be something that really ties us to the issue. And so 
one of the things that I remember during the campaign, I would always ask the workers, what is your story? You know, oftentimes people look at me like, why are you asking me this? And I think people often miss that once you really understand the story, oftentimes we get so passionate and so, you know, reactionary to a lot of the issues. And one of the, the most important things as an organizer that I found out during the time I was, you know, organizing folks is that when folks find their self-interest in a fight and they find their um, their whys of why they're getting involved in a certain situation or a certain campaign or a certain cause, it really helps you 10 times fold to kind of um, stay grounded into the into the work. One of the most important things um, as you get involved in any cause, I would say to any, any students is, you know, what is your story? What is your story? And what is your why? And I think going in into your inner self is, is really crucial. Sounds like we have a title for this episode. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think when you're talking about narrative, that's exactly what we, we want to do on this podcast is we want to have a collection of stories like you and other people. And hopefully one of them can resonate with a student listener who might feel lost right now or um, who wants to who's excited about the next steps or you know there's a lot of different feelings people have as they graduate high school and look into college so I really really appreciate your time this has been a great conversation and um, everything you said it's it's for the audience but I take it to heart like I really (laughs) this episode has been really uh meaningful to me so thank you for your time um sharing some inspirational thoughts with us so appreciate it Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, before we end here, I want to give a quick shout out to our listeners. Thanks so much for joining us today. This podcast was brought to you by the Minnesota Office of Higher Education. I encourage you to dig into the resources mentioned in this episode, which you can find in the show notes on our website at lifeafternowpodcast.mn.gov. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts so that you don't miss any future episodes. Until next time, I'm Liz Balsoni. Stay well, stay hopeful, and stay ready because you all are the future.